Well, let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, you would love us despite our sins. And for that, we are forever grateful. Um, we will see the background of one particular sin in our lesson this evening, but help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and remember that we reflect your love for us in our love for you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have a copy of the sheet, I think even I have one, um, we're in First Chronicles 18 and 19, and we have a lot of uh, battle maps tonight. So there's some warfare going on. Is that okay, Jameis? Okay. Uh, and uh, some other things, but also some chronology. And forgive me um, if you're not excited about that, but I put together the year-by-year -year chronology of David's whole reign as king as best as I can make it out. So that's not based on anything in a book. It's just my own research. And so if it doesn't exactly tally with something you've memorized, um, I'll just ask your indulgence and forgiveness. But let's do a couple of verses first. So the, the, this chapter, chapter 18, begins David's wars. And after this, that is after David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and established his house and so forth, David defeated the Philistines. He subdued them and took Gath and its villages from the control of the Philistines. And here it is on a map. And if you look at the map, and you, can you see, can you tell the difference between the Sea of Galilee in the middle and the Dead Sea down below? You can tell the difference? Keep your eye on the Dead Sea, and there's Jerusalem with a little tiny ring. It's like a Star of David, and a little wavy line that shows David's path down to the yellow-marked city of Gath. And this is David's attack on, on, uh, on the Philistines and probably happened uh, in a year shortly after he began his reign from Jerusalem. So not when he was king in Hebron, but this is later after he's now become king in Jerusalem. All right, verse 2. He defeated the king, uh, or rather he defeated Moab. If you want to keep looking at the map, I'll give you that battle too. So the Moabites became subjects to David and paid tribute. So David crossed the, the, the Dead Sea. And uh, of course, this is a modern satellite map. So the bottom of the Dead Sea is missing today. But in David's time, it's kind of a, I don't know what color that is. Kath would have called it aqua. Is that right? The bottom of the Dead That was still Dead Sea in David's time. Today it's dried up because of dumb things that they're doing. But then it was not dried up. It was still there. Um, and so you couldn't just go around like where the dots are. He had to go around over a ford, probably the same ford that his great-grandmother took when she went from Moab over to Bethlehem. You remember her name? Ruth, yeah. Ruth had to travel from Moab back to, uh, back to Bethlehem, and that's probably the route he took down to Moab now. And then David also defeated... Hadad-Ezer, king of Zobah, as he was on his way to Hamath to establish control at the river Euphrates. So David tracks all the way up here through Galilee, and uh, those white things are actually clouds. It's a satellite map. I couldn't control the weather. Um, 
And uh, then, do you see the city below Zoba? Do you see that it's Damascus? So we're way up there, up north. And David wanted to settle his northern border. He has people living up there. This is the tribe of Dan that's in the vicinity. He wanted to control things. And so he fights against the city of Zoba. And as I was working through this verse, it's only verse 3, I began to wonder, how often did these little mini wars, or would you call them campaigns, I suppose, right? How often did he do this? And I remembered a verse from later in Chronicles, which tells us that the kings went out to war at a certain time of the year, at spring. So when the winter rains were done, the kings would mount up, call their warriors, we just planted, and now while the crops are growing, you guys can come with me and fight. So that was kind of how they did their their fighting back then. So David goes way up to Zoba. But I kind of wondered when and how does it work with the rest of David's reign. So if you don't mind, we're going to step out of the text for a, a minute or two and look at some key chronological points about David's reign. And there are... I followed, to, to make up this chronology, I followed six observations or rules. And this is what they are briefly. Number one, David's total reign was 40 years, from 1010 to 970 BC. We know that. Okay? Then, secondly, certain of David's sons were born in Hebron before our chapter, when David is in Jerusalem now. And also, one of them had a sister. Absalom's sister was Tamar. And she had to have been born at about this time as well. And the reason for that is, anybody remember what happened to poor Tamar? Something horrifying. I'm glad you don't remember. She was raped by her brother, her half-brother, Amnon, the oldest of the boys. And for that to happen... And for what happened after it to take place, because that's the story of Absalom. All of that fall, because Tamar is Absalom's full-blooded sister, same mom. Uh, And David, of course, is the dad of all of these kids in this kind of messed up family. Um, For all of that to play out before the end of David's reign, Tamar has to be, I don't know, how old? I figured 15, 16 at least for that horrible event to take place. She couldn't be younger. So at least I'm really hoping she wasn't younger. And so that's, that's, that's a terrible benchmark, but I got to have some kind of a benchmark there. And the Absalom story comprises about nine whole years, the third quarter of David's reign. Then... Number four, this may shock some of you, but Solomon was the fifth pregnancy of David and Bathsheba. And then typically, how many years in between kids? About two, usually. You know, yeah, you might space it out more, but usually about, you know, a mom has a baby and then at least has to wean the baby. And they actually waited longer, more like three years before they weaned, but at least two And so Solomon actually is born, I think, the year after the rape of Tamar. So 16 years in, you know, this is, this is a, you know, it's a 40 year reign, but there's a lot that goes on. And then Solomon's son Rehoboam is 41 when he becomes king. 
Therefore, he was a year old when David died and Solomon became king. Because Solomon reigns 40 years. If Rehoboam was 41 the next year, he had to be born, you know, before Solomon took the throne. Um, uh, so Solomon must have been of marriageable age before this. So Solomon had to be between, I don't know, 16 and 20, probably, when when he became king. We're not told how old Solomon was. So I just, I just arbitrarily said that he was 20, but I might be wrong. And then, therefore, the key event, which leads up to chapter uh, 20 in this book, is the David and Bathsheba story. And that takes place during the Second Ammonite War, the Siege of Rabbah, the capital of Ammon, which takes place around the year 997, in, in order for there to be time for Bathsheba's five pregnancies before Solomon is at least in his teens by the year 972 when Solomon, when, when Solomon becomes the father of Rehoboam. Does that, are you totally confused about all this? Or are we tracking, kind of? Let me put it this way. This is, my, this is what I have written in ink in my Bible in my own hand. These are the four quarters of David's Reign. So, part one in Hebron, seven and a half years, from around 1010 to around 1002 BC. The second part of Solomon's reign, the early Jerusalem years, when David is kind of, David and his wives are giving birth to these first kids uh, and so forth. This is nine and a half years from about 1002 to about 992 BC. Uh, then we have the trouble with uh, Bathsheba around the end of that period. Um, then the middle Jerusalem period, nine, 11 years, 992 to 983, almost all of this is taken up by the Absalom story, which when I remember it from my Sunday school years, I thought probably happened in the course of about the same week, but it was nine years for that whole thing to play out. Um, and then the late Jerusalem period, which begins with Absalom's ultimate rebellion, and it ends with Adonijah's rebellion as David is dying, um, 983 to 970, 13 years. Okay? All right. Having walked you through this one way, I'm going to make you listen to it another way. So here I have year by year, or almost year by year, what's going on. Do you mind? I'll just track through this all. So... The first quarter in Hebron, Battle of Mount Gilboa in 1010, death of King Saul. David is made king later that year at Hebron. The following year, I think, birth of Amnon, David's first child. Uh, then, the following year, probably, uh, David had that second wife named um, uh, uh, Abigail. And she gives birth to Kiliab, and, oh, whose other name is Daniel. And the other wife, the first wife, gives birth now to... I'm sorry, another, a third wife gives birth to Absalom. Then around 1006 or a little later, maybe, is the birth of Tamar, who is the sister of Absalom. Um, and I'm, I'm putting her tragic story around the year 991, about 15 years later. Then we have David capturing Jerusalem in 1003, uh, so seven and a half years into his reign. 
Um, and then a year later, incidentally, he completes his house, which is kind of the, the termination of this whole section. But the second quarter then begins from about 1002 to about 992 BC. Um, oh, and we're down here, by the way. I just didn't fix the... It's hard to do these slides quickly. So, sorry. Um, although I had all weekend, I was working like, I was working like this all Sunday afternoon. But the, we have a, a war in Gath in the year 1001. We already had that in our text today. That was verse 1. was that little battle in Philistia. And then, uh, because I like to keep track of these things, there is a pharaoh in Egypt who, becomes, who takes the throne in that year. And his name is, anybody want to take a stab at how you say his name? Can you say quickly the letters of the alphabet that follow H-I-J-K? L-M-N-O-P. It's Amenemop. That's how you say his name. Okay, Amenemop. Um, and th this is actually significant because in the book of Proverbs, um, everybody say it one more time. L-M-N-O-P, I'm an M-O-P. Yeah, it's fun to say, but once you've learned it, you, um, in the book of Proverbs, there are three whole chapters that correspond to a poem written about this time called The Wisdom of Amenemope. And there's a question. Did Amenemope, who's on the throne for a while, or his grandson, who lives a little bit later, did he steal Proverbs from Solomon, or did Solomon bother, borrow wisdom or Proverbs from and it's kind of an open question. I think that Solomon did not borrow. I think that this guy's grandson borrowed, but that's my opinion. Okay. Um, all right. The year 1000 is the, the war in Moab, which we also uh, uh, are, are about to find out about. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. It's a huge battle in the salt flats south of the Dead Sea. A lot of bloodshed, but mercifully told in one verse. So we're not going to have to go through it all. Um, then the year 999, there are emissaries from Hamath. Um, Hamath is that area way, way up north, up by Damascus. So sometimes you hear it called in the Bible. Have you ever heard the, the phrase Lebo Hamath? You've seen that maybe in your Bible reading. Lebo means entrance. So Lebo Hamath was the valley that led into this territory. Of, of Hamath, way, way up north by Damascus. And oh, a couple years ago in the, the war in Syria, we heard about the very sad destruction of a famous city called Aleppo. Aleppo might be the Zoba we were just reading about, and which really grieves me, not only because of the sadness for the people, but because Aleppo in Syria is also, or was also, the location of the second most important Old Testament Hebrew manuscript, the Aleppo Codex. And if that didn't survive that, it's kind of, it's still too soon to ask, by the way, I, I'm sorry about the rubble and everything, but did that Bible survive? You know, when, when do we get to ask the question? I don't know. Um, I don't have to ask the question, somebody else will. But unless online, maybe I just did. Well, I mean, we'll see. This is, this is a, I don't know. So then there's an, a, a war in Edom following this, and then the first Ammon War, which if I ever stop this and get back to the text, will be at the beginning of the next chapter. 
Maybe. We'll see. I'm having fun with this chronology, though. And then we have a second Ammon War, which is the siege of the capital of Ammon, uh, the, the city called Rabbah. Rabbah is still there today, by the way. It, they, it was rebuilt. And it's one of the most important cities of um, Jordan, right? Today, Rabbah. Uh, and then we have the David and Bathsheba story. Bathsheba loses the first baby. I remember Solomon is her fifth pregnancy. So the, she loses the first baby, I think the same year or early the next year, what, you know, whatever it would be. Well, and she didn't miscarry. She had the baby and then it died, right? Um, so then a year later or maybe more, she, uh, she gives birth to her oldest surviving child, Samua. Then there's another war in Gath. Uh, followed by the birth of uh, another son named Shobab. Uh, she gives birth to a son named Nathan, who is named after probably David's pastor, um, I think. And then, uh, remember Amenemope? Well, he's gone now, so he's replaced by his, his uh, successor, Osorkan the Elder. Um, how We don't usually name our children the Elder. Are you Jameis the Elder? Yeah, maybe you will be someday, but right now you're just Jameis, right? So they're just, somebody after him will have a Roman numeral after his name, but he doesn't yet. So then we get to David's third quarter, and this is the middle years. This is where the trouble really starts. So uh, Amnon now rapes his half-sister Tamar. Um, about that time, Bathsheba gives birth finally to Solomon. Absalom, two years after the, after the tragedy, murders his half-brother for having done it. Um, and then he flees to his grandfather, um, who is one of the local neighboring kings. And David goes and lives with grandpa for a while because David's wife, the, father, the, the, the mother of Absalom and Tamar, was the daughter of a neighboring king. So that's where Absalom goes for four years, I believe, or is it three? It looks like it's three. Then he returns and is exiled to Hebron. However, if I'm remembering rightly, he asked to be exiled there or was delighted to be exiled there because what had David done in Hebron for seven years? He ruled as king. And now Absalom gets to go there. Hey, look at me. And, uh, ooh, um, you know, maybe think that through. Uh, uh, of what you're doing. Um, uh, and then uh, we have another pharaoh. This one's name is pronounced Siamun. You better say that out loud. Siamun. Yeah. Do you see the Ammon element in there? So it's Si-Ammon. That's how that word gets formed anyway. So it's uh, not quite spelled the same way, but that's what it comes. And then at some point in here, and I don't know where to put it, there was a three-year famine in David's time. Um, it doesn't have to do necessarily with that census that he takes later on, but at some point this famine happens, and I kind of suspect, and that's where I'm going from, that the famine has to do with Absalom returning and claiming the throne or acting like he's king, as if to say, look under dad, things are bad, but if you take me as king, I'll get you out of the famine, things will be better. You can see that happening with him. And this begins the final quarter of David's reign, the longest section, 13 years. 
where we have Absalom's rebellion and death. Remember how poor Absalom died? Gets his hair stuck in a tree and then the army comes and throws javelins into his body. So that's how he's, that's how he's killed. Um, not, a, not a very nice way to, to die, even for a guy who was rebelling. Because David didn't want him killed. He wanted him brought to him. Then uh, there is that, then the devil incites David to take a second census account of the army. Joab resists, he doesn't like that, but David tells him to do it anyway, and then uh, the census ends, remember, with uh, God being extremely displeased uh, with David, and he's given the choice. Um, three years of, 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 of famine again, or destruction, uh, three is it three months of being falling into the hands of your enemies or three days of being um, of, the, of the killing angel and what does David say he says I, I don't want to fall into anybody's hands except the Lord even for punishment and so three days and where on the third day does the angel stop it's on the hill above David's palace. It's called the threshing floor of Araunah, the Jebusite. And it's there that David says, that's where the temple's going to be built someday. So it's exactly on that spot where there will ultimately be the temple. Today on the Temple Mount, um, just behind the spot where the Muslims have their big boulder, inside of their Byzantine church, which is their shrine of the rock, there is a depression in the ground and there in, in, a, in, a, in the stone. And there are some scholars who think, well, that must be the, the weight of the Ark of the Covenant in rock. But if you were to put the Ark of the Covenant on, a, on, a, on bedrock, even for a couple hundred years, what would happen to the rock? It would just stay rock, Right? We're not talking about, you know, tar or, so, or, or the grass behind my yard. You know, we're, we're talking about bedrock here. I think that depression was already there. I think, however, that that's the threshing floor of Arauna, the Jebusite. That that would make sense, that that's what that little depression is. That, that's a threshing floor. So, anyway... Significance of the following, uh, five years later, the, however, David is now 70 when that census happens. Then five years later at 75, David can no longer stay warm. And do you know this story? Have you heard this? They look around for a good heating pad or bedpan, and what do they find? A teenage girl named Abishag. So she becomes David's last wife, um, and she is told to sleep with the king and keep him warm at night. And she does that for a couple years, however long it was, until he died. Um, David does not lay with her in, the, in terms of like um, having sex with her, but she sleeps with him to keep him warm at night. Um, and she's going to come back into the story a little later here. Uh, not personally, but her name is going to show up again. So then in 971, Rehoboam is born. That's around the time of Adonijah's rebellion. Solomon is named David's successor. And remember, Solomon's mother is nowhere near one of David's first wives, right? 
Solomon is not even the oldest son of Bathsheba, even if she is the favorite wife. What, what is Solomon to David? Why is Solomon the, the correct successor? I think he has two or three things going for him. But can you tell me why he might be appointed as the guy? Well, I think that certainly is part of it. His, his wisdom. He's got wisdom. In fact, he has a certain kind of wisdom that his older brothers didn't have. Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, he has godly wisdom. I think at this point, Solomon exhibits faith. And that's not what a lot of David's children seem to exhibit, is a living, active faith. So Solomon has smarts, wisdom, and faith. Um, and so David says it's going to be Solomon um, and not Adonijah. Um, that David shortly after that dies. He speaks his last words, which we have in the book of 2 Samuel. And uh, then he dies in 970. And shortly after that, maybe I have the year wrong, it may have been sooner than this, Adonijah, who had been kind of given amnesty, Adonijah, like you're not going to be king, but you just, just don't do anything else and you can live. But he makes the mistake of coming and asking for Abishag as his wife. And what would that have made him? Well, his wife was the last, his, Abishag was the last wife of King David. She was, in effect, the queen. If Adonijah marries her, he could make a case for himself becoming king. And so Solomon uh, 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 has him executed immediately. Um, at this point, Solomon also executes everybody who had anything to do with Adonijah's rebellion. They had all kind of survived up to this point, but now they all go. Well, the, the Lord already told David that, that, that I'm going to establish your throne forever, and the Savior will come from that. Um, but from David's perspective... Um, he kind of only had one candidate that's really a serious candidate, I think. Um, and he had promised, he had made a promise to Bathsheba that her son would be king also. There's that part of that uh, story. We're going to come to that. So we're, but that's a very valid question. You know, uh, God does not name, in fact, God, the Lord doesn't name any kings after this. It's always either father to son or murderer to murdered, you know, or in one case, the Babylonians put their puppet on the throne. From now on, no. Apart from Saul and David, those are the only two that the Lord had anointed. And after this, the priest would anoint the king after this, but the Lord doesn't any longer. It's a good question. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church. New Wall, Minnesota.